everybody. Welcome back to Other Duties as Assigned. We are joined here today for another interview. We have Erin Kelly with us. She's going to tell us a little bit about uh, how she got started in athletics and what she's doing currently. Yeah, so I got my start uh, crazy enough in high school. I uh, had some injuries and some other things that took me out of playing sports myself. And um, my track coach, my throwing coach at track was also the assistant football coach. He was like, hey, come help out the team. We got some, we need some help running practice, the clock, and dealing with equipment. And from there, he connected me at Auburn. And so I went in Auburn immediately, student manager, freshman year. Interned when I graduated from Auburn, went to the University of Florida for an internship. And then uh, while I was down there, mid-internship, Auburn called me back and they're like, we got a full-time gig for you. So, yeah. It's not a bad way to get going. No. What, uh, so when you say you, you got into it at Auburn as a student and everything else, what kind of attracted you about working in athletics as a student manager? Did you know anything about it other than what you did in high school? Or did you just kind of say, I'm going to take a chance on this? I knew nothing about it going in. I kind of was like, I'm going to take a chance. I went and I met with uh, Dana, the head guy down there. And he kind of showed me around. And starting out, I worked with, so Auburn was completely different there. They had three full-time people, two guys at football and one guy that handled all the Olympic sports. So starting out, I just worked for the one guy that handled all the Olympic sports, meaning whatever sport needed us that day, we did that. And um, it was, I thought that was the best way to start out because then I wasn't biased towards, I only want to work football or I only want to work baseball. I kind of learned a little bit about every sport. So. Yeah, I mean, you can't beat that. Being able to have that type of experience coming out and when you realize you want to do that for a career, it's going to open you up for a lot more things because what we've always talked about is people that come out of this as a student are primarily focused on one sport and it does narrow out, you know, what jobs are available to you. So I think it's a huge mistake for sure. Yeah, that was, and even when I was a senior and I was graduating, at that point, I had been working pretty much only football for two years and just helping out with Olympic sports because I had that relationship with Dale and I just wanted to help him. So then I was like, as a female, I'm obviously not going to get a football role. I need to get more experience in other sports under my belt. And so I went and I worked with the softball team, which, long story, within two weeks of me working there, we went from having a full-time, an intern, and me at softball to just me as a full-time student. <laughs> so, That's not <laughs> Yeah. Well, since you, since you brought it up, let me, uh, let me ask you this. What are the, you know, different situations and or difficulties that you experience coming into this industry? That's, uh, it's more, you know, male driven, or at least there are more positions filled by men than there are women. You know, what are the, the difficulties for females in athletic equipment? Well, yeah, that's it. It's, you know, ideally in the dream world, I would have loved a full-time position as a football manager. But nine times out of ten, the equipment room is either in the locker room or right outside the locker room. And also to be, you can do it and um, be a female, but, like, you have to be in the locker room, be able to go in the locker room, especially on game day to help guys put on pads and stuff. That's just something that, very few places were willing to take that chance, which I'm fortunate that I was given that chance at Auburn and I proved that I'm responsible and I never put myself in inappropriate positions and more so than me feeling uncomfortable. You have to think about the guys. They're college kids. They don't want females seeing them in situations. So 
you know, there were road games where I was, one of my jobs on the road was the equipment truck. So anything they needed going into the game, gloves, whatever, that was my task pregame. There were games where we'd set that truck right next to the door and I would literally just sit there with my head down and just face the truck, just hand them what they needed. Just being as professional as possible, but not letting that prohibit me from being able to do my job. So, yeah, I mean, you, I, I would say you were not lucky, but it was a good thing that you had a pretty good group of guys like, in terms of the student athletes around you that they didn't let it get in the way of you being able to do your job and, and enjoy the work you were doing. So it does, right. unfortunately, I mean, I say unfortunately, but if people have a problem with it, then there's they're just there's a problem with that person because there shouldn't be anything to hold you back from being able to do something that you enjoy doing. So, yeah. And there's, yeah, there's a few girls. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's gotta be a mutual respect and it's gotta be uh, a manner of professionalism, but that goes no matter what gender you are and what gender sport you're working with. Right. And I think right. there are a few girls that, that I've seen um, across the country that are starting to get football roles at the college level. And I think that's great. I'd love to get them on here and kind of, hear some of their insights as to what it's like being full-time because you're right as a student uh i've i've had i worked with females working football and i've managed females as a full-time person and you can get creative around student help and make it so that it's not as uncomfortable for them or the student athletes and things like that but as full-time you kind of got to be in there so i'd love to get that perspective and i've always likened it to um, specific, specifically with the NFL, you've got your media rules where they, they let them in the locker room after the game. There's male and female because you can't discriminate there. Well, if we're going to let them in, then what's the problem with letting, you know, the athletic trainers are a lot more, have a lot more females in their profession right. than you see in equipment and they're in the locker room. So if, if we're trusting them to be professional, then we should be able to trust female equipment managers to be just as professional. And I think you're going to start to see that become more and more uh, prevalent. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to become more of a trend. Just if you can prove that you're there to do a job and have a mutual respect, and, there, and it has to go both ways, uh, equipment manager, athlete, and athlete. To, and even, I mean, even for a male, it has to go both mm-hmm. ways. And you know that you're there to get a job done. They're the only, I compare to the NFL, like you said, media can go in the locker room and all that stuff. The only difference, quote unquote, at the college level is they're not always adults. Right. And so that's where things get a little fuzzy. (laughs) So I got news for you. They're not always adults in the NFL either. That's that's true. (laughs) That's true. I mean, it was, and Scott, you you touched on this about when you're managing people. And I mean, the one thing you do is you just, you can talk to the the student athlete, you can talk to your managers and just be like, listen, I know you're here. You want to be here. You you have this job to do as a student manager. Mm. Just, you know, put yourself in a position where you're comfortable. Don't, if I'm asking you to do something where you're uncomfortable with it, please just tell me. And then for the talking to the student athlete, I'd just be like, listen, I have a female on staff. Just, I I have two rules. One, don't be stupid. And two, just don't hit on them, please. Like don't put them in a position where they feel uncomfortable or they get pissed off. Like I just, let's just draw that line. Cause she wants to come in and work hard and then do her job. And if you're going to put her in an uncomfortable position, she might leave. And then, you know, it puts everybody in a bad place. So Uh, it's a good lesson for both student athletes and student athletics employees on, you know, how to be professional in the workplace. 
I mean, it's, it's really all it is for both of you is it's a workplace and you can't go up and, and hit on somebody, you know, in your, your office after you graduate. So you need to have that as the same mindset when you come into the locker room. So let's, uh, let's shift a little bit and, you know, Aaron, I just, I would like to know what advice you would have for women, you know, coming out of high school, wanting to get into working in sports or any type of job that would involve getting into an industry that doesn't have a large amount of females working in it and trying to kind of not break down some barriers. What, what advice would you give them? Right. Going in, I would say definitely you have to be confident and you have to be able to stand your ground because in a male dominated world, there's going to be a lot of mansplaining (laughs) that's happening. And um, there's going to be a lot of people that, maybe don't necessarily think that you can do as good of a job. And that's not the case. You definitely have to go in and be able to sometimes be the loudest person in the room just to be heard. So not always a good thing to be the loudest person in the room, but sometimes you got to do what it takes. So, Yeah. I think every single guy out there has at one point or another mansplained and not even realized that they were doing it. So it's, 100%. It's definitely not. You can always tell when it's intentional or not. And I don't. I mean, I, don't, I hesitate to use the word mansplaining because there are times where I'll over-explain something to someone, and it's not even me trying to insult your intelligence. It's just me, like in my brain, it popped up, so I'm explaining it. So, well, that and there could be a certain way. I mean, like for you, there could be a certain way you want something done, so you really break it down right. for them, and it yeah. could seem like you're making you know you think that they're stupid and you're like no i need you to put this exactly here and do exactly this <laughs> only yeah. because yeah i'm weird and i like things done a certain way so yeah. what you're Women saying manager manager are particular about things yeah. No <laughs> no. yeah so you worked in equipment then i'll transition a, a lot now it, it, what got you out of college athletics and kind of into what you do now Ex- explain kind of what you do now and kind of what made that transition yeah so now i'm working at sales to sell athletic equipment are we allowed to say company names or can if you want if you don't want to I, throw it out there you don't have to i work for bsn sports if any equipment knows the name um, so i got it i didn't start out work i started out working for a smaller company called college town we won't get into that but um <laughs> so i do sales um and just an equipment you know i love the job like there's no doubt about it i love the job but I also love going on vacation and I love spending time with my family. Uh-huh. And if you can't do that in equipment, I can't tell you how many weddings I missed or family vacations I missed and holidays that got put short because you had to be at a bowl site Christmas day or the day after Christmas or whatever. So to me, that just kind of, it wore on me a bit, I guess you would say. And also you know, you don't make the most money as a quick manager. <laughs> so, um, no. I got, we had our sales rep for what was in college town coming to Auburn to sell to us. And I got to talking to him and he was like, this is a great way to get out of it, but still kind of stay in it. And so that was really a draw. So. Yeah. You definitely stay in the business, but like you said, there's, there's a life outside of, of work. Um, right. and that's, I mean, that's how you and I met, you know, when we, we, uh, when I came to work at college town and now obviously BSN, you get to, I mean, you're, it's funny. I mean, there are how many people that 
were working for the for College Town at the time, there were former equipment managers. I mean, there were four or five of us at least yeah. at that point. And mm-hmm. how many people go work for Burdell, Shut, or Douglas, or you know, all these other companies that sell equipment and they're vendors for these colleges and pro teams that are former equipment managers and or just athletics employees or coaches. Coaches are coaches are big in our world. Coaches and uh, I mean, most of our world is people that used to work in athletics of some sort and yeah. couldn't didn't want to do with the grind anymore. We kind of wanted to stay in, which even sales, as Patrick knows, there's moments where it's a grind. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, right now it's a little bit weird because uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know Aaron, I, you and I both have some colleges that we work with, and especially on the club sports side. We don't know if club sports are even going to happen come right. come fall. So it's not like orders are coming in and trying to get things ready for these guys. So it's it's slowed down considerably. But like you said, there are definitely moments where you are working just as long a day as you would being an equipment manager. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the big change that you do see a ton of equipment. Like everyone that works in equipment knows somebody who, yep, that's my buddy who left for a sales job. He makes more than me now and gets twice the vacation. I think it's, I think it's happening because as college athletics, not just football, but they, they get the most spotlight of this. It's all becoming year round sports and the equipment schedule does tend to be year round because when everyone in athletics takes off a lot as those summer months, and you can't if you work specifically in equipment because that's when all the stuff's coming in. So I think you see a lot of people who are saying, okay, well, sales is going to have its busy seasons, but at least there will be that clear cut, this is a good time to take a vacation where you just don't get that in college athletics right now. Yeah, when I was at Auburn, I worked the first sport to start, which is women's soccer. They typically mm-hmm. start fall practice about a week before football does. Mm-hmm. and the last sport to finish, which is track and field. And they go deep into June, July almost. Yep. And so I – and then sometimes I got holidays, but if I was – sometimes I was asked to go and help at the bowl site, be like an extra hands on deck. Even mm-hmm. though football wasn't my sport, that was just part of our role to just help out as needed. So, Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's actually interesting the way they have it structured at Auburn. That's not a a typical thing. I mean, I know that a lot of sport. I mean, especially look at your basketball managers. You know, they they work basketball, but then again, also looking at kind of a year round sport. But they're specifically focused on basketball. Your football managers, you don't see them really spending too much time jumping in with other sports unless it's really laundry. But in terms of like being at practices, being at games, it's just it's more rare. Um, but you see in terms of people that are working with you know, Olympic sports, they can bounce around and work three or four, three or four different sports and probably end up spending more time in the equipment room than a football student manager or a basketball student manager when it all comes down right. to it. Yeah. It's crazy. It's very interesting at Auburn. Jake, a um, friend of mine, Jake Morgan, who we had on here, was telling me all about, and I've seen the pictures on Twitter too, about your Under Armour unloading the truck days where everyone's at the indoor and it's just that just looks like the craziest amount of chaos where you probably get some of your better stories from the summer just from from those couple days but i mean the way that it's all hands on deck and everybody's helping everybody you love to see that across all sports but athletics as well yeah those days were long usually you had to be up there by 6 a.m unloading into 
you know, before we had the indoor unloading into the call stand. And that was when we typically only had about half our student staff there. It's summertime. So they're not all, you know, if they're not taking summer classes, they went home for the summer. And just, and our boss wanted the truck unloaded. He wanted all the inventory counted, marked, and in its correct equipment room. Zalvern has all our equipment rooms spread out across campus. It had to be in its correct equipment room before you went home that night. (laughs) (laughs) How many trucks are we talking? Just one big usually, It was usually two days. Like one semi, semi would come on the first day, and then usually about a week later, the second one. The second one was usually about half full. So the second day wasn't <laughs> as bad. <laughs> it, it was a, usually about a 6 a.m. to a 9 or 10 p.m. type of deal. <laughs> so, one hell of a grind right there, my gosh. Yeah. Which, I mean, it was a grind, but at the same time, you did it, but then you wake up the next morning, you can hit the road getting this stuff off to the printers, getting it turned around and ready to yeah. go to issue out that. So. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an important important piece of work that a lot of people don't know about that we have to do to try and get these young yeah. men and women ready for their, their competition or practice or whatever it may be. But I will say that was always one of the worst, one of the my least favorite times of year is whenever all your stuff starts coming in and you have to, like you said, inventory it and God forbid there's one or two items missing, you know, like one or two shirts yeah. missing or something. And or you got a box that was supposed to go to Texas Tech, but somehow ended up in Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, yep. We've all been there. Yeah. Those are always the good times, but we'll say this. So you moved to the other side of the business is what I like to say. And, you know, what would you say that you use from, your days as an equipment manager to help you succeed uh, as a sales rep or sales pro at this point? Um, I definitely would say right now, since I'm mostly sell apparel, because uh, College Town didn't do equipment, uh, I kind of know how uniforms should fit, how it should look, the materials you want to use, how to care for it. Because a lot of, especially working with club sports, they don't know that you can't wash a custom uniform on the hottest heat and then they wash it and then they're mad that it got messed up so wash I it can, and then wash it on high heat and dry it on high heat and they're like hey it right. shrank well yeah well that's how that's how that works um <laughs> so i can typically guide people to the products that they don't even know they need you know they're just like hey we need a jersey we don't know it kind of so you know i can say hey this is are you looking for budget friendly or are you looking for the exact same thing these college athletes are wearing. It's going to bust your budget, but the quality is going to be good nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. So that's really helpful because oftentimes you'll meet with uh, even coaches. They don't really know what they want. They just know what they kind of need. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a good thing, too, that they can trust you to lead them in the right direction. And right. this isn't anything against any sales rep out there, but if you have more experience in knowing, one, how things fit, what the players like and the different options you have. I mean, everybody knows the different options you have, but there can be a, a stock Jersey that is just as good as a custom Jersey. And it's going right. to save you 20, $30 a Jersey at least. Well, mm-hmm. why, don't, why don't you go with that? Because you guys don't have a ton of money to toss around and you can use that savings towards some more gear and practice gear for your, for your players. We're used to having to forecast out as equipment managers, you know, ordering a year out and, you know, your roster's not even set. 
And so you have to kind of translate that here. Whereas like they'll want to order like the super custom jersey, but then they think they can come back the next year and get just two of fill-ins. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, if you want fill-ins, fill-ins at any point in time, you can't order this. That's not how it's going to work. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big piece of information to have. I mean, if if your team has the budget to do that every year and you want to make a new get a new custom jersey, then cool, that's awesome. Let's go ahead and do it. I'll I'll write that order up all day. But <laughs> just know that each year you're going to have to buy a new set of uniforms with this, unless you're you don't plan on your team changing over the next two or three years. So and pay attention to that end offer date. You go buy a bunch of uniforms and then you want to fill in the next year, but that was it. So now you got to order a whole new run. Yeah. And they cycle out jerseys and they only run them for a couple years at a time. It's yep. good times. Yep. So for me, because I'm still, I'm the only one in this conversation still on the other side of the coin there working in equipment. What would you say is the hardest part about working with the equipment managers that you have had to work with on the sales side? Or is it easier for them because they're customers who have kind of been where you, they are where you've been and, and they know a little bit more about it than say coaches who just know what they need, but don't know what they want. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's hard. I would say the things that would probably frustrate other sales reps that doesn't bother me is sometimes it's very last minute. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, we need this the next week. And you shoot it up the ladder and, you know, production's like, why they wait so long? And I'm like, their coach probably didn't even know until yesterday what they wanted (laughs) i was like you can't nine times out of ten the equipment manager is the middleman not not but like in those last minute situations it usually came from a coach that thought this t-shirt would be a good idea and they need it next week so absolutely i mean you see that happen more often than not the equipment managers (laughs) try to do the best that they can to plan ahead for everything and they don't want to have the last minute orders or last minute oh my god we need this in a week because sometimes it doesn't get done and then we're Mm -hmm. the ones that get yelled at so we spend a lot of time apologizing (laughs) (laughs) sorry coach it's not going to be here on time and sorry unnamed rep i uh, i just got this put on my desk yeah well we the unnamed rep spends time apologizing when a vendor takes way too long to ship something Uh out Yeah, or when a virus cast. takes over an entire country where most of the production is. Yep. Yeah. We send some to production and it comes to them with like the wrong color or whatever it may be. And you're like, all right, well, I can get it replaced, but it's going to be probably another week before we can get it out to you. So mm-hmm. it's good times. So here's here's a question for you. And this one, like I, you know, I, I preface it every time with <clears throat> the, na- the name of the podcast is Other Duties as Assigned. Uh, it's something that really holds a lot of meaning to anybody that works in athletics. And can you give us an example of a work situation you had, whether it be as an equipment manager, even as a a sales rep where you had to do something that really wasn't part of your job description? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll give you both. That's okay. Um, And equipment oftentimes, especially when I was working with like softball or Olympic sports, uh, I found myself being the second, right-hand man to the ops director, as in, like, taking pre-game and post-game meal orders, uh, making sure (laughs) schedules got, you know, making sure uh, athletes knew the schedule, what time we need to be on the bus, 
you know, after the game's over, especially like at uh, NCAA tournaments, there's usually a person in charge of post-game media that gives you a list of names that has to go to a press conference. Mm-hmm. Somehow those roles typically fell on me, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, Dear Lord. Yeah. So just stuff like that. It's kind of where I'm just in the mindset of like, I'm here to help. Yes, I have a job to do, but as long as it's not infringing on me doing my actual job, I have no problem doing other duties at the time. And then in sales, I noticed that at College Town, that especially uh, when they were bringing in new reps that were that they wanted to go after college campuses, I learned quickly that they weren't training them on licensing policies, yeah. and uh, <laughs> which is important. Uh, <laughs> so typically, I would you know, kind of try to reach out to those new guys and be like, hey, if you're going to a college campus, you first person you need to contact is the licensing. So. And make them your best friend, because if you have those last second orders that need to come through and you need approval from licensing, hopefully you yeah. can reach out to them and they'll help you out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah so licensing. I wasn't the official trainee on licensing, but I definitely, you know, because if college towns or if your company that you're working for loses, start loses in license, starts losing licenses left and right, it does not benefit me at all. So I just wanted to make sure across the board we're doing it right. So. And I think at one point you and I talked about licensing with yeah. uh, whenever I was working with Yale or something along those lines. So, or no, Navy. It was Navy. Navy. Yeah. Because yeah. I yeah. transferred that account over to you. Yeah. So we definitely, she was basically the point person for licensing, even though she wasn't the point person for licensing. <laughs> I, was not, I was not getting paid to be the point person for licensing. <laughs> No, but it seems like if you work in athletics, you're not getting paid for about 25% of your duties anyway, yeah. so it all works out. You're being generous with that 25%. I would say 50. <laughs> I try to be optimist. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think other than that, we've just about wrapped everything up. Any uh, fond memories working in athletics you have or advice you want to give to maybe any students that are looking at this career? Um, yeah, definitely. Had a lot. I mean, I want – I was with two championship teams at two different schools. And so those were a blast. And, you know, that's the part that sucks about stepping out of it is, you know, those are moments that you can't do. Um, And both of them were extremely different. One was football, one was softball. And um, to any students that are interested in it, I would say don't just do it for the glamour because when you get to the full-time level, the glamour is, very minimal. I would say definitely go in outside of practice hours, go in in the morning, see what the normal everyday office work looks like, and then decide, hey, is this what you want to do? Because that's what is going to make or break being an equipment manager for you. So, Yeah, I think going in in the not, um, that's the key thing that I did that got me to fall in love with it. If you go in in the not so... I want to say like cameras on times when there's never cameras on our job, but everyone knows, Oh, you go to practice, you do this and that. If you're not in there seeing, you know, the scrubbing of of game jerseys at 10 AM on a Monday or, you know, just whatever the other stuff is, then you don't really know what the job is by the time you get hired on full time or as a GA or intern, you're kind of, uh, all I know how to do is run a practice and then that's going to be a rude awakening. And now you've spent four years building up towards a career that you really don't know what you're doing. 
Well, at least coming out of Auburn, you knew how to sew a jersey on a sideline of a football game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Yeah, that one that actually happened while I was at Florida. But yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, and, not, that's nothing against Dana. The fact that he had a trunk literally that had a built-in sewing machine, I thought was incredible. He, that guy loves the sideline. He has a trunk for anything you can imagine. He has designed a trunk for it. And I mean, it's cool. Like they have the coolest setups sometimes. But. Yeah, I mean, he has like a porta potty that he travels with as a trunk. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's impressive. So I, I do have one more question before we'll we'll run to take a quick break here. But uh, what would be your favorite moment that you've had with a coach? It could be good, could be bad. <laughs> we we enjoy these because we've had we've had a couple funny stories out of these. Yeah, no, they're um had a lot. Uh, say one that stands out <clears throat> was that Florida, right after we got back from Oklahoma, did the parade, all that stuff, and Coach turns to me, he goes, hey, Aaron, can you go make up two more uh, trophy homes for me? And I was like, I, in my mind, I'm like, I'm tired. I want to go home. I don't, <laughs> I don't want, can I do it tomorrow? So I go, take five minutes, and he comes in, and he could have just as easily grabbed it and left, or just said thanks real quick and left. But he comes in and he like takes the time and he's like, thank you so much for everything you did this season and your your student staff, you guys are amazing. And to me, small things like that, just like <clears throat> he didn't have to thank me personally, but he did. So that's really one of my best. So. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, that you take with you, too. I mean, to have the recognition for the hard work that you put in while we don't sit and ask for it. It's it's always a great thing whenever somebody does say to you, "Hey, you know, appreciate everything that you've done for us." We know that it hasn't necessarily been easy, or uh, you know, we're we're crazy people and we ask for ridiculous stuff all the time. But mm-hmm. it it does kind of make the job worth it in the in the right. end. Or you yeah. know, whenever like a, a student's graduating, you have a you have an athlete graduating or a student manager graduating, and they come thank you for everything whenever they're leaving. Just- you're like. Wow. I had a senior, and it was my first year with the team. And so usually your first year with the team, you don't necessarily have the strongest relationship with the seniors because mm-hmm. they're kind of like, our way out, we don't need to know you. But mm-hmm. I had one senior, uh, and she, and on the Auburn soccer team, that she, in her speech at the banquet, took the time to thank me personally. To me, that was, like, huge because, first of all, athletes typically don't do that. And secondly, for a senior on her way out, I had only known her that one season. To me, that was I mean, she's still a great person. Her husband's a great person. Try to keep touch. So, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's an awesome thing. I think the thank yous are just few and far between working in athletics. So, anytime they are a personal thank you coming from really anybody, it just it, it means that much more. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's good. Let's take a quick break. And we're going to come back and talk about some updates on the uh, coronavirus. So, get ready. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Welcome back. We still have Erin with us. She's going to join us for this next part. We're going to talk a little bit about some coronavirus updates and some of the news that uh, recently broke as early as last night about the California State University system and Arizona. And I think, Scott, you said Florida is talking about even possibly yeah. back up. 
Yeah, California coming out saying, you know, none of the state schools are going to have people on campus for the fall. They're going to continue online. So with that, uh, unless the NCAA and the state of California comes to some kind of agreement where they'll allow athletes to be there to practice and such, you're not going to see fall sports. So if, you know, you're talking about four or five schools at just the FBS level, that would affect maybe more. Um, I mean, that's. No fall sports in the state of California means no uh, fall sports for a lot of conferences, I think. I think you'll see a domino effect a little bit. Hopefully they come to something. But on the same time, you've got uh, the complete opposite. Arizona saying bring back major league sports. We're good with it. Whatever you need to do. And then on Florida. Friday for yeah. Friday. Yeah, like let's go. We'll give you a couple of days to get here. Uh, yeah. Then Florida, <laughs> the quote is, uh, Florida's governor came out and said, what I would tell commissioners of leagues is if you have a team in an area where they won't let them operate, we'll find a place for you here in the state of Florida. So they're not just saying, you know, Tampa Bay Rays, Miami Marlins, uh, you know, our teams, they're saying, you know, give us your, give us your, uh, COVID, you're tired, you're poor, you're weary, whatever. Florida wants your professional sports. So, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because it seems like we've got, you know, maybe half the country that wants to keep things shut down and wants to, for safety reasons, um, keep sports kind of sitting idle. And the other half who's like, nope, we're ready. Bring it back now. <laughs> yeah, the, the interesting thing I will say is, so you and you and Aaron are located in the, the southeast, right? In an area where they're like, we want our sports. We want life back to normal. And let's just get this ball rolling. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider where I live the South, but technically is, but it it's is. not. It's uh, yeah, not. I mean, it is, but it isn't. There, I mean, we're still on lockdown until June 10th. I say lockdown, but it's kind of like a shelter and home type thing. Yep. But it's interesting to see, and Aaron, you know, to get your opinion on this, what California is doing is it's not just affecting football, and that's something that we talk about a lot on here is because what we have the most experience with but it's volleyball soccer it's a lot of sports i mean you're talking thousands of athletes not getting the opportunity to to play the games that they want and on top of that the uh, uncounted number of just students unable to go to school because i mean let's be honest online classes are a joke and you're not getting nearly the education out of it as you would sitting in an actual classroom Right. It's not even like outside of football. Think about it. This past spring, how many um, softball players lost their senior year? Mm-hmm. So now uh, you're coming into now you're looking at next spring. Potentially, you have two classes of students that lost their last chance to play the sport that they love over a virus, which, yes, a lot of people very dangerous. And we have to do the smartest and safest thing. But when you have half the country opening up. And half the country not. Now it looks like a recruiting nightmare because these kids are going to want to go where they can play. Transfer portal is going to be a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I think all that's those dominoes are what worry me and the the ones that haven't even been thought of yet. But I I find it very strange to think about what it could look like. Um, Two things. If this does happen and they shut down, there's no fall sports in California. How many 
not just that, there's no classes. How many people are going to lose their jobs because it's been this like, I feel like most universities are just saying, well, we'll just wait this out. You know, a lot of people have been furloughed already. Florida Tech, uh, D2 school down in Florida has just announced that they're cutting their football program as a result of this and furloughing people and stuff like that. So I think it's tough where if there aren't those kids paying all those increased tuition fees for dorms and stuff like that, I think you're going to see a lot more cutoffs university-wide in the state of California and other places that do it. But the other thing that's weird for me is if you talk about moving the season like the Pac-12 has hinted at, they might want to do a spring football season. Well, what does that look like on college campuses if you've got one equipment manager who, you know, like Aaron said earlier, she was right there at the beginning. It's women's soccer. You know, they're starting up. But then you've got time to like their season ends. You get prepared for your spring seasons, whatever. If that stuff's going on at the same time, that's a nightmare for some departments and athletics and facilities. I'm sure it's like, hey, you guys share this with a spring sport. Like, how are you going to both operate on the same fields at the same time? You both play Saturday games. Just usually your seasons are flip flopped. I think it's going to be weird. Yeah. On that note, you have um, especially smaller schools where, you know, athletic trainer might do a fall sport. And yep. a spring sport. And they're the only athletic trainer for those two sports. So now what happens if your game is on the same day? You have to have that trainer. You have to have that trainer there. You have to have that equipment manager there. How do you justify which sports get the priority on that weekend on the teams that share a field? Who gets the yeah. priority? <laughs> I mean, event operations, someone's got to run security. There's usually someone who works in event or facility ops who's who's coordinating over radio for all the security that's there, medical professionals, everyone. That, I mean, it takes a, a true production to put on any college event. If you've got more than your athletic department can can provide, not to mention with all the budget cuts that have happened, you're not talking about athletic departments hiring a bunch of more people to cover this. Right. Yeah, and you're talking about, too, the availability of practice space. There are schools mm-hmm. that that share practice fields and you know at, at when i was at richmond football practiced on the game field and during the spring we scheduled our spring ball around lacrosse practices because they were in season yeah if you're running that at the same time then games could end up interfering with each other so you have to figure out where you're going to be playing practices will absolutely interfere with each other and working it around people's schedules because you don't know what the classroom situation is going to be like either. I think it's going to be an absolute nightmare, not to mention on top of all of that, if they decide to bring people back for the spring semester, spring semester starts in what January. So you're going to bring, you're going to bring everybody back in in the middle of flu season. When this could be all hitting round two next year. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a thought. (laughs) I mean, what do you do? You, do you cancel school for an entire for a year and a half? Oh, and, there's no way. You know, what I, I mean, like I'm going to be you, frank what, with you. I don't think a lot of schools can survive it. Put aside athletic no. departments, I don't think there's a lot of small schools that can really survive that. Um, I think that endowments are only so big, and there's, I mean, there's going to be countless people that either lose their jobs from this, or especially athletics, if some weird scheduling like that happens. I think you see a lot of people just flat out walk away. I think there will be people who just, this is hard. This is ridiculous. This is not what I bargained for. I'm going to go do the job that pays more that I can spend more time with my family. Right. And then, like you said, schools can't afford it. I had a customer. I won't name the school, but he was a a band band director. He said in the last week, he's had 
six students say they are no longer coming because mm. they can't afford it. That's going to come across the board with kids. I can't afford it. Yep. And so you had so now because these kids aren't paying tuition because they're not coming back in the fall. How are you going to afford to put on these spring sports with no sort of incoming capital revenue? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not only that too, but if and this is <clears throat> my my thoughts on California. If you're telling people that they're not going to be opening the classroom, so does that mean that they get tuition breaks on room and board and the, yeah. the different fees you have to pay to take a class on campus? I mean, that you're going to have to cut your tuition in half. Yeah. Otherwise, people are just going to be like, fine, I'll go take classes somewhere else. I'm, you know, if I can transfer, if I'm allowed to transfer at that point, but uh, or I'll just not go yeah. to school for a, a semester and a half or two or whatever it may be. But there are some major repercussions coming from that major. decision. And yeah. I don't know. The school that I work at had to give out, they did refunds in the spring. And I think that's what most schools did was here's a refund for, for room and board because you're not using it for the full semester. But if you talk about that, like you're going to see a bunch of students where they did it because they knew that students would sue otherwise. Well, you're going to see a bunch of students sue if you try to put athletic fees on there to keep your athletic department functioning and not have to lay everyone off. Especially uh, if they can't go to the games. Exactly. exactly. You, I'm not you're paying, paying athletic fees for I can't even go. Sports. Yeah, I'm yeah. not doing Half your athletic fees are for a free student ticket, but if I can't even go to a game, if it's going to be an empty stadium where you're playing a game, I'm not paying for my athletic fees. Yeah. You're not, you're not yeah. going to pay campus recreation fees when the recreation center is closed because you can't even be on campus. So what's going to happen to those people's jobs? That's what I'm saying. I mean, this is going to be university-wide where, it, you know, it's there's there's no talk about a bailout for – universities so it's very scary to hear people say oh well, we're just going to stay closed well you're going to lose a lot of your staff because who i mean you can't you can't continue to pay people when there's no students around they are the, the lifeline of all these universities Even this is where they have the uh, the uh what are they the booster like the uh every athletic department has the booster mm -hmm. club or the yeah whatever their chair their donation fund is that's what and um I think at Auburn, there's the season ticket situation still up in the up in the air. I mean, my friends kind of buy in on some, and they were giving us the option to just donate our money. And I was like, oh, I'd rather have tickets personally. Yeah, yeah no, I, I want to go see the game. I mean, I, I understand <laughs> you guys needing donations to, to keep things afloat, but what you're going to see are some crazy things. And and Scott, you you touched on this, but like Florida Tech cutting a football program. That's a hundred plus student athletes that are maybe that was their only chance to play football again. Yeah. I mean, it's um, a D2 school, so it's not like it's, you know, the university of Florida cutting their football program. And you've got a hundred guys that everyone in the country would love to, to add to their roster. This is division two. I mean, it's, it's not as many opportunities for, for those kids. Yeah. And, and the university of Cincinnati cut their men's soccer program recently. How many how many other sports are going to get cut from these universities in terms of trimming their their bottom line and trying to save money? You're going to see that, and even at the professional level, Scott, you and I had talked about this earlier today. The Miami Marlins are about to furlough between fifty and a hundred employees to try and to try and save wow. money to get through this. Like you're looking at professional sports, and they said that. It's not going to just be Miami. You're going to see this almost across the board. But 
if there's no games being played, there's no money being made, and these the the ownership can only stay afloat, if you will, for so long yeah. on quote unquote cash reserves and liquidity. I mean, it's it, it's more, so much more far reaching than anybody really could imagine. It it it, it, it's, it I almost it's don't have a words. Billion, billion. I mean, I don't I don't even know how far it extends. It could be trillion. I'm not a math guy, but the, I mean, it's a huge industry sports and you talk about they've been shut down now for long enough that it's you're going to start to see this it's mls has proposed you know players taking cuts to to handle all the costs and they barely get paid anyway correct (laughs) and the the it's gotten better but correct but i mean look at i feel bad for 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 the lower division of American soccer, the lower division of European soccer, those guys don't get paid much either. And it's, you talk about all these people have their livelihoods in sports. It's looked at as a, I think especially nationally right now, it's looked at as like, well, this is like, you want your sports back, but that's, it's a sacrifice. It's people see it as a, as a luxury to be able to watch sports. It's entertainment, but what's being overlooked is there's, millions of jobs in the United States in and sports across the board and, and professional college youth. And, and those people are, are just starting to feel it. And I think it's, it's, if things don't open up soon, it's going to get real bad. Without a doubt. I think that the, the scary thing is you're going to see more and more youth leagues and the, the different, you know, maybe AAU mm-hmm. like basketball and travel baseball, travel soccer, all these different things that were massive recruiting tools for colleges end up folding because if there's nothing being played, they can't, I mean, they can't pay coaches. They can't pay all the different staff that are involved in all of this. Well, a lot of that's pay to play too. And if mom and dad are unemployed, I was going to say that's most of that is travel. And if mom and dad can't pay for hotels every weekend and to get them there, that, that kind of goes by the wayside quickly. Mm-hmm. I was on a travel baseball team that one year, I think our fees were like $500 and that covered like all your uniforms and tournament fees and stuff like that. And then we still had to, like you said, pay the gas and, and you're still out of pocket hotels. to get there. Yeah. 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 So we would, I mean, we would obviously parents can't always take off too. So it helped out that we would carpool and, and, you know, pay for our own hotels, that kind of thing. But it's like, what are you what are you gonna do for, for people who are unemployed? There's too many people that are getting unemployment benefits that aren't making, you know, what they make and with their normal paycheck. So I think that it's um, we talked about it on the COVID episode, you know, our first one that we released that this is gonna get weirder before it gets back to normal and starting to get pretty weird. Well here's a question. I don't know, you might have talked about it on your COVID episode that I haven't had a chance to listen to yet. If we do go back Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. If we do go back, what does that do to the equipment manager as far as sanitizing? And yeah, that added another aspect to it. It does. I think it definitely does. We didn't hit on that, but you know, we kind of talked about it today at my um, my job's end of year department meeting where one of the slideshow uh, put on by the athletic trainers was, you know, sanitation is going to be something that's a key priority when we do come back. They're talking about, you know, we don't know when we'll be cleared to have physicals for incoming athletes. So that may push our fall sports back, even if we're cleared to start August 1st. Um, 
But from a sanitation standpoint, I think you're right. There's a lot of companies that have been sending out emails uh, to equipment managers and athletic departments about, hey, we're selling this sanitizing equipment if you guys want it. Like, we have masks here, da-da-da. I think you will see a lot of equipment departments come together with athletic training, and it's going to be a lot of, you know, we're washing the stuff more regularly. We're going to wipe down surfaces a lot more. I think a lot of departments will spend – you know, go over budget to get the kind of cleaning supplies that maybe they haven't thought about needing before. Well, here's here's the shameless plug for you. BSN is offering bulk ordering for for masks if you guys need it, and we can even put your own school logo on it. Not that I'm trying to get any sales out of it, but reach it. <laughs> hey, we reach, got it though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, reach reach out to your rep because that's going to be something that's going to be required if the schools open back up. You're going to need it, and there's no reason to to not have it and you know the the things that we have available to us are going to be washable and it's not just like a one-time use thing so you can reuse them and and it's going to yeah. be and like you said whether it is you know when you get back on campus and you have student athletes around sanitation is going to be a major thing and you know I, I talked with the guys up at cincinnati they said i mean this was two months ago that you know, once or at least two months ago, but once everybody was kind of off campus, they went through and sanitized everything. Mm-hmm. And it's something that they're going to have to do on a more regular basis. Not that they weren't doing, well, it, you know what I mean? Like it's not that well, it's not ever being is, done. It's one of those things that you, you don't wipe it down or spray the lockers on a daily basis anywhere. But I yeah. think you yeah. may start to see that be the case. Yeah. And um, having like different ozone machines and like air scrubbers in general around your mm-hmm. locker rooms, I think are going to be a big thing and uh, using that on equipment. And we used to use like ozone machines or like the different filtering the processes. Thing. Yeah. Like to, to try and get rid of even like the, the odor in athletic equipment, but you're going to see that more widely used in order <laughs> of, to, to sanitize things and truly kind of kill germs and viruses, bacteria, all that different stuff mm-hmm. that, we're exposed to well to try and take all things. of us back to our early days at least for for i know for my age anyway to our early days in equipment where there was all the staff outbreaks and everyone was going through and, and really sanitizing Immersive. things a lot because of staff and you were worried about staff infections and it's going to take us back to that where you're constantly cleaning things because you don't trust the athletes to to not have some kind of infection you're going to go back to having hard surfaces on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Any any cushion that in a locker that doesn't serve a purpose, probably gone. Gone. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a, a different world, and it's going to be, you know, possibly a change for the, for the better down the line once all this crap is gone, that some of the different practices, ha- you know, have changed in terms of cleanliness. But for the time being, there's going to be – I will say an overreaction to, to sterilizing and, and keeping things as clean as possible every single day. And, you know, student staff are going to have to be in that locker room, whatever the sport is, wiping things down on a daily basis. Could be a whole lot of other duties as assigned. <laughs> Seriously. Sure. Yeah. Awful pun intended, but <laughs> correct. It's going to be, and you know, that's going to, that that duty is going to tumble downstairs to the equipment. So. Oh, without For a doubt. Sure. And I, I think mean, it's going to fall on. It's got, athletic trainers are going to have to be involved. I mean, it's it's 
it's going to take more than most athletic training departments are bigger than equipment departments anyway, but you're, I don't think there's going to be a single equipment department in this country. And I've worked for some big ones and I've worked for some small ones that are going to be able to go through every team's locker room and sanitize on the level that it needs to be done on top of their own duties. So it's going to fall on some coaches, some athletic trainers, you know, some athletes probably to, to hey, make the freshmen scrub everything after every practice, you know, whatever you got to do. And the janitorial staffs. I mean, yep. there's going to be a lot more pressure put on those people to keep things as clean as possible. And mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see an expansion in janitorial staff. Yeah, I think, I think that's the one area that universities, businesses, everyone, they're going to say we have strict budgets on all this stuff. We'll go over budgets on, on the cleaning products, the janitorial staff. I mean, if you are going to justify to your superiors any kind of spending, I think that's the one thing that everyone's going to overlook. So many different departments involved in all of this. And I, I, I mean, to get back to, to California, I mean, what are those like even the, the janitorial staff and the people that aren't ever talked about, uh, you know, they do the, the thankless jobs. Mm. If there's nobody around for them to actually do their job, what, what happens to their position? Like, are, are they still gainfully employed? Are they going to be, you know, the, the other couple million people that are unemployed at this point, there are some, some strange things that are going to happen out of that decision to shut everything down for at least another three months. Well, the good thing about, you know, not to be crass, but janitorial staff is everyone needs them. And that's Mm -hmm. a trade that can be taken pretty much anywhere. So hopefully if even if college, if California kind of does stay shut down and uh, those people unfortunately lose their jobs, hopefully they would be able to, yeah. something in the meantime, you know, I think, but, I think those will be some of the first people on universities to lose employment, but I think that they will be some of the first people to get hired back. Cause you're not going to welcome back a bunch of students. You're not going to welcome back a bunch of employees that have been furloughed or anything without <clears throat> having someone there to make sure everything's clean and safe. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing how their jobs are looked over until there's a, a virus yeah. that tries to take out the planet. Yep. <laughs> so. Grocery store workers, fast food yeah. employees, all of it. You know. no, it's just uh, unheard of times. I mean, none, nobody could have seen this insanity. When I say it like this, I mean, you could predict there could have been models to say like, oh, it could be this bad if you don't just like keep your butt at home. But mm-hmm. the what's happened because of all of this is just craziness. And I mean, who would have thought that, I mean, something as simple as sports, uh, truly playing a game mm-hmm. would be so integral to the culture of the United States to where yeah. we're all losing our freaking minds, not having sports around. I mean, I, I talked to somebody last week who was literally gambling on ping pong because there's yeah. Russian ping pong. I guess it's still yeah. Olaf is struggling right now because of everything, because of yep. no, uh, you know, no sports being played. You know the the. Hey, there's cornhole on TV last week. And marble racing, but yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, the the eye racing stuff that we had talked about, Scott, and like the different yeah. little like uh, virtual the NBA basketball tournaments and all these different things. And the UFC's back, so. You know, yeah, they're in yeah, front of no fans, but you've got UFC pay-per-views if you really want to watch some competition and watch uh, someone getting their 
quarantine aggression out on another person, and then yeah, you've got NASCAR this weekend. So I mean, stuff's slowly starting to come back. The MLB, you know, said that they're looking for July fourth, sometime around their start date. I imagine they'll do a spring training sometime in June. Um, so I mean, would be to have an opening day on July fourth, though. I mean, the amount of beer sold across the country would be astronomical. But I think that's you know that's a step in the right direction. It's just what is going to happen with these uh, states who we called it half the country earlier, who are not going to um, continue to open up at the same rate. Because I think the federal government's going to let it happen. I think yeah. that's been been kind of shown. No politics, you know, in in on this. Just I think the federal government is going to let Florida and Arizona do what they want when it comes to to reopening for sports and stuff. So. What does that mean for all these conferences and these these uh, these professional leagues who have teams and, and schools in states who aren't open to athletic events and other states who are? It's crazy. It's crazy. Only in America. <laughs> Only in America. Well, on that note, I think uh, I think we're all going to go and wash our hands. And uh, Aaron, thanks a ton for coming on. This is great. Got to talk to. Uh, a female working in athletics. I think that gives us a lot of perspective. That was awesome. And, and talk a little COVID because uh, that's all anyone wants to talk about right now. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. So. Yeah. I mean, nobody really wants to talk about COVID, but it's the only thing that, that is really changing the, the landscape of athletics yep. as a whole for us. And it, yeah. it sucks for all of us, but like Scott said, Aaron, we, we really do appreciate it. And hopefully God, Less there's something coming for us in June and mm. July, sports wise. Hopefully, um, kind of come Hopefully. together. Yeah, come together and watch because I'll tell you, the alcohol sales are going to be through the roof. And thank God they haven't <laughs> shut down ABC stores and <laughs> essential businesses. That's, uh, that's about as essential as they it's come during all this crap. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. Um, if you have any questions or comments, concerns, reach out to us at ODAAPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll, we'll see you again here in a week. See ya.